Okay. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good evening and welcome to tonight's Midweek Bible Study. Uh, after our brief hiatus, we resume our series on Volume 2 of Understanding the Kingdom of God from Parables. Before we start tonight's volume, uh, may I bring to your remembrance a bit of what we covered in Volume 1. Uh, we, before we delved into um, the, the, the subject matter, we first of all had to give some definitions. So we looked at the definitions on kingdom of God and parables. And what did we um, come to when we talked about the kingdom of God? We, we talked about the kingdom of God as a culture or a way of life for people, right? So the kingdom of God is, is, is equivalent to a culture, especially when you look at the context here. Hey, Pastor Robert, I've not seen your face in a long time. <laughs> How are you? Uh, we, we, we look at culture. That, that culture is defined as a way of life for a group of people. And when you look at Matthew's account specifically, Matthew is basically dealing with how when we come into Christ, the attitudes, things that we will do, that will mark us out as believers. Basically, this order, the parables are coming um, down to amen then we looked at the meaning of the word parables so now one thing i also want you to know is that when you read particularly matthew the kingdom of god and the kingdom of heaven they are used interchangeably so it's just the same so in matthew anywhere you see the kingdom of heaven it refers to the kingdom of god and anywhere you see the kingdom of god it refers to the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is not necessarily talking to us about a place it's talking to us about culture but in Mark and Luke, wherever you see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it has very different connotations. I hope you understand. So in the book of Matthew, wherever you see the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, they mean the same thing in the book of Matthew because it's basically talking to us about a culture. The kingdom of heaven is not necessarily referring to a place. It's referring to culture or a way of life. But in the books of Mark, and look, wherever you see the word kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, they have different connotations. Amen. So now the second definition we came to was a parable. And we, we defined the parable as a story, a fiction or nonfiction. All right. So not every parable is true. Some is a figment of imagination. Others are true, right? But it's the, the main reason for a, a parable is it's used as an illustration to drive home a spiritual truth. Amen. So then we looked at why did Jesus use parables to teach his audience of the day. And that puzzle was answered in Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. So if you read Mark chapter 4, verse 10 to 12, we will see the reason why Jesus decided to teach him parables. And he taught on parables to further highlight the gross dullness of the hearts of the Jews, as prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 6, verse 9. So if you read Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, Isaiah prophesied about the common apathy of the Jewish audience. And Jesus' teaching and parables further highlighted Isaiah's prophecy. And 
one thing you have to notice that Jesus' teaching was not to hide the truth from his audience. But most of the Jews were so disconnected from God and far away spiritually that a story even became a mystery. Amen. So what Jesus also did was that he used this format to teach his insiders, who were his disciples, who will make the parables plain after his ascension. So Jesus did not really come to sort of code his message. Um, it, it, it seemed and looked coded because of the audience of his day, their receptivity to receiving the gospel. Howbeit, all the parables that Jesus used as analogies and illustrations to drive home his message, he charged his disciples to make the gospel plain because it's also gospel. In the parables are the gospel. He made the gospel plain to his disciples so that when he ascends, his disciples can now make the message known to the people. Are you understanding me? So the disciples, the messages that they preach, like Peter, right? The basis of this message is from sitting at the feet of Jesus. And all these messages were given to him in parables which later through relationship and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is able to flesh it out and bring more revelation and more meaning out of um, these teachings that he received from his master. Amen. So we looked at the issue of do parables today exist do Christ's followers have to teach in parables or preach in parables, or will God deliver a message in a parable? And we came to look that at that that is just a phase. All right, it's not something that has come to stay. Why do I say that? Because of John chapter 16, verse 25. And if you do remember, we did touch on John 16, 25, where Jesus said he's not going to speak to us in pictures, he's not going to speak to us in words, it was in proverbs, but he's going to make everything plain. Amen. So now we are supposed to just preach the message and make the gospel plain. I believe that the era of parables, according to John chapter 16, verse 25, is over. Amen. So why are we now on this? If, if this era of parables is over, why are we now on this? Because behind the coded message of Jesus lies a very important message on how Christians should live. We have to live in such a way that our way of life can transcend culture. And that's why the kingdom of God is so necessary for us to understand. So in this series, we've grouped the parables into four parts. So the first part is the kingdom takes roots. The second part is the kingdom is present with us. The third part is the kingdom comes alive in us. The fourth part is the kingdom transforms our world. So let me say it again. The first part, the kingdom takes roots. Second part, the kingdom is present with us. Third part, the kingdom comes alive in us. And fourth part, the kingdom transforms our world. You know, uh, the parables can be a little bit heavy on theology. So after every part, I'll just want us to take a break. And then some, some filler messages will come in and then we'll resume again. Amen. So we've done volume one, that's the kingdom takes roots. And under the first part of the kingdom takes roots, 
we looked at a set of nine parables, the parable of the new cloth and new wineskins, the parable of the builder, the parable of the lamp and the baskets, the parable of the two debtors, the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed that grows, the parable of the barren fig tree, the parable of the, parable of the good fig tree, and if you do remember the last parable, the parable of counting the cost. Amen. So we concluded by saying that the parables under the first part, which is the kingdom takes roots, are organic and practical with imagery from agriculture to finance. And why are, why are these sets of parables called the kingdom takes root? Because they signify the great mystery of the kingdom of heaven. They reveal to us what it's like for God's presence to reclaim the brokenness of our world. So for these reasons, Jesus ultimately asks us to count the cost and observe God's word. Our sins have been forgiven and we can celebrate with Jesus, our bridegroom. Amen. So that's, that, 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 is, that, um, that explains to us the summation of the first part, which is the kingdom takes root, which has with it a set of nine parables. So today we're going to part two. Part two is the kingdom is present with us. The kingdom is present with us. And under part two, we are also going to deal with a set of parables. Uh, to come to an, an authentic understanding of God and his ways, we must be ready to experience his presence. That, that is what will help. Amen. You, you, you will never have an authentic understanding of God and, and his ways if you just want to experience miracles. And, and many Christians don't have an idea. Um, they don't have a fuller knowledge and a fuller understanding of God or his ways because many Christians have just packed at miracles. We are just so infused and so enthralled with his works and, 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 and his acts and, 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 and all these things speaks of his miraculous power and all those things, which is very good. It, it, it makes God a cut above every other deity. That is what sets him as God. By a time comes, we have to move from just knowing God by miracles and knowing God by acts and come to experience his ways. And for that to happen, we have to embrace the presence of the kingdom or the presence of the king. Amen. That is how we'll be able to have a very deeper understanding of God. So I believe this next set of parables is calling us to uh, step up our dedication and our effort to knowing God more and more so that we'll be able to have a proper understanding of God. So if you don't have a proper understanding of God through relationship and by experience, uh, anybody will deceive you. Anybody. Anybody can deceive you, which is very dangerous. It's not just so, it's just, just enough to know God's works. It's, it's, it's very tantamount that you also know his ways so that you will not be deceived. Because I believe that we are living in an era of deception. And, and, and people who are not going to stand strong are people who don't know the ways of God. They are just acquainted with his works. 
no wonder in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32b, it says that they that know their God shall be strong. Okay. I'm not even focusing on the exploits, but they shall be strong. They will be stable. They will be resolute. They will not be caught, they will not be caught between two opinions. They will be stable. They will be strong. I believe a time has come for us believers to be strong. We have to be strong. We have to be resolute in our confession. We have to be resolute in our faith. And for that to happen, it comes by embracing the presence of God. So God is calling us through um, these parables to go deeper and, and one step further into our relationship with God. Where, whichever step you find yourself in, at your present stage in your walk with God, God is calling us to go one step further. One step further. So don't, don't, don't be happy. Don't be happy at this stage. Go one step further. You know, as I've been meditating and praying, I've been telling myself, Lord, I, I, do, I just don't want to be here. I want to go one step further. I just don't want to be here. I don't, I don't want to be the same person I was in June. I want to go one step further by the end of this month. I want to go one step further. Amen. So when a person is ready to receive Jesus' message, the parables moves from riddles to being life lessons. Amen. So um, all this, for us to understand Jesus' parables, it also calls for um, a commitment to live them, all right, and not just see them as fables. Amen. And as Jesus um, puts it, we will truly hear and see his words about the kingdom of God when we truly observe these truths. Amen. So now with that said, let's go to lesson one, and uh, the kingdom is present with us. So our first parable under part two is taken from Matthew chapter 13. So under part two, the kingdom is present with us. We are going to spend a majority of our time in Matthew chapter 13. I mean, if you've ever read Matthew chapter 13, it's a chapter of parables. So most of the parables under this part will come from Matthew chapter 13. Amen. So our first one is the parable of the tears. The parable of the tears. Um, so let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. I read. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. 26. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tears also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tears? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. Least while you gather up the tears, 
you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to bend them, but, but gather the wheat into my barn. Amen. Very interesting parable. Now, I just want you to note something. This is one of the few parables Jesus explained in detail. So if we look at the subsequent verses of this chapter, that's from verses 36 to 43, uh, he does give an explanation to the parable. And like I keep on saying, parables are not meant for us to put our spin to it. Uh, when we do that, we completely miss it. Um, for us to really understand parables, we always have to stick to Jesus' interpretation of them or look at the context and draw our conclusions. Because if you read all the parables of Jesus, not every parable he even bothered to explain. Some parables he just gave them and he just left them there. And when you see parables like that, for you to understand those parables, you just have to read the context of the scripture and the context of the scripture will help you to draw a conclusion. I understand me, but most of the parables were interpreted by Jesus. And what Jesus interpreted as the final authority or as 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 his word on the parables, that is what we are to accept. I understand me. But sometimes when we are we we approach things like parables, we can easily err. You know, we look at what Jesus has said and then we'll just put that aside and then we will just read it and then we'll give our own interpretation. And when we do that, a parable ceases being a blessing to us. Amen. So we always have to stick with Jesus' interpretation of a parable. That's how the parable becomes a blessing to us. Number two, where there are no interpretations, you will just have to read the context. Because most times where there are no interpretations, if you normally look at the chapter, you will see maybe one or two parables. So, and, and mostly one or two parables in that chapter might mean the same recurring theme. And that alone will help you to understand the parables. Amen. So there are many ways we can understand the parables so that we can rightly divide the word of truth. So with that said, let's look at the meaning of this parable that Jesus gave in verses 36 to 43. So we just read verses 24 to 30. That's the parable. So now verses 36 to 43 of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to unpack the meaning for us. Amen. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, so this is very interesting. You see, so if you read this at a first glance, you will think, Jesus, you came to preach the word. Why do you just give such an enigma and then you send the multitudes away? I understand it. So sometimes if you don't take care, you will think like, but Jesus, you came to preach the word. But here you have just given these people an enigma. 
You've just told them about some agrics, you know, some something that they can relate to. Somebody, somebody planted seeds. When people were asleep, some an enemy came to sow different kinds of seeds. When they grew up, when the wheat was growing up, the tares were also growing up. And then somebody said, look, this, it, it seems it's going to bother the growth and the development of the wheat. Should we uh, take them apart? No, don't take it apart. Uh, someone else will come and do that at the last day. We'll gather the wheat, we'll burn them. We'll gather the, the, we'll gather the tares, we'll burn them. We'll gather the wheat, we'll put them in a barn. So he gave this to multitudes and then he sent them away. No explanation. So like we are saying, what was the purpose of Jesus' teaching and parables? Was it to conceal the truth? No. It was just to further highlight their gross downness. So with that said, let me just read Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 again before we go here. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. And he said, this is God talking, go and tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. So, you see, God gave a message to Isaiah. But he said that these people, they will never be able to understand the message. They will never be able to perceive the message. Um, um, they will have gross dullness in their hearts concerning the, the precepts and the oracles of God. And Isaiah was perplexed. He's like, Lord, so how long? Will these people remain uh, unperceptive to your to your ways? He said, until everything is destroyed, until everything is destroyed, until their land is waste, until everything has been utterly desolate, then they will come to my repentance. So that spiritual condition that existed in the days of Isaiah, which was prophesied was the same condition Jesus came to meet. And like we said, when Jesus preached these messages, because they were so far away from God and so spiritually disconnected, these messages which were supposed to be like revelational truths to them, it became like a riddle and it became like a puzzle. And that's why Jesus to him the most important people he could really preach this message to were the disciples. So that after his ascension, now when the Holy Spirit comes, it sort of will become a bit easier to preach the message. You see, even look at Peter's first sermon, repent and be baptized, that you receive the Holy Spirit. Where do you think Peter received this message from? It was at sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teachers, including parables. Are you understanding me? That's how come he was able to get this message. 
So what I really want us to understand is that Jesus was not against teaching the multitudes. But because of their spiritual condition, there was no point explaining it to them. He would rather explain it to the disciples. Are you understanding me? So now, verse 36 again. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. So it refers to Christ. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. 39. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Verse 14. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. There's a pretty deep one. So now, getting the facts straight on this parable, this parable really talks to us about corruption among the kingdom community. So this to us explains to us the nature of Christianity. And I believe all of us are facing it. If you've been a Christian for some time, you will realize Christianity is warfare. And if you don't take care, sometimes you might take your anger on the evangelist. Was he lying to me? When he said that when I come to Jesus, all my problems will be over. Not necessarily true. We are in a battle. We are in a battle for the salvation of our soul. You see, Satan really works like Pharaoh. And if you remember the story of Moses and the Israelites and then Pharaoh, when Moses was able to lead the Israelites out of the captivity of Pharaoh, Pharaoh still pursued them. He still pursued them. Even though Moses had given them the the word of the Lord, let my people go. Pharaoh still pursued them. He pursued them until they could not cross the Red Sea. That was what closed the deal. But one thing we have to understand is that when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are in a battle. The devil will try to do anything possible to bring us back. It's a fight. There's corruption. It talks about Christ who sows the seed. And when Christ sows the seed, how does Christ sows the seed? Christ now 
is sowing the seed through preachers. He is sowing the seed through preachers. He is sowing the seed through the availability of God's word. And the enemy will always try to counteract the move of God. But there is one thing noteworthy here. One way by which we give the devil an upside is when we sleep. It says that when men slept, the enemy comes in. So it means that if men are not asleep, it becomes very difficult for the enemy to operate. So the reason why the enemy was able to corrupt the kingdom community was because men were asleep. Now, when you look at this verse, men slept, it does not necessarily mean it was nighttime and they had to go to bed. Because every human being, when it's night, you sleep. It's not really talking about when it was night, humans had to sleep. It just talks about the lack of sobriety and vigilance. So it might not necessarily be nighttime. It could be daytime. But when you lose your sense of sobriety and vigilance, the enemy comes in. Ladies and gentlemen, this explains to us Christianity. If we really want to come to a place where we can embrace the kingdom of God and experience the presence of God, it's a fight. The devil will not want you to do that. Whilst the word of God is being preached to this world, the devil is also doing his utmost best to also preach his gospel. It's a fact. So you, you see two, two fields of knowledge trying to arrest the souls of men. So this year is talking to us about the salvation of a soul. And how do you redeem the salvation of a soul? Through the mind. So it's information. And the devil is able to put his information in the midst of a gospel-saturated community when we lack sense of sobriety and vigilance. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 to 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 to 9. Be sober, be vigilant. So, when you become a Christian, you have to be sober. You have to be vigilant. Don't sleep. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not saying that when it's nighttime, don't go to sleep. Because when it's night, we all have to sleep. But when we are talking about be sober, be vigilant. Make sure that you have the awareness of an enemy after your salvation. 
you have to have that awareness. Why? Because your adversary, that's the enemy. You have an adversary. Every believer has an adversary. The adversary is the devil. As nice as you may be, as kind as you may be, you have an adversary. The adversary is the devil. And he is seeking after your soul. Because once the devil gets the salvation of your soul, you are devout. He is roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him. I thought God is going to resist the devil. He says, you resist him. And how do you resist him? You resist him by being steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we are encouraged by Peter not to give the devil place. And as believers, we will not give the devil place when we are sober and when we are vigilant. So the reason why the devil was able to sow tears in the wheat field was because people lacked sobriety and vigilance. Apostle Paul also gave us this same instruction. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. I don't know which version of your Bible you are reading from, but my version has only five words. Nor give place to the devil. Nor give place to the devil. You know, this word there, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. We've been commanded through the scriptures not to give place to the devil. And this scripture is given to believers as a command. We are not supposed to give him opening. We are not supposed to give him landmass. We are not supposed to give him space. Because when we give him that that is where he will begin to infiltrate our kingdom community with his seeds. And that's carnality. That's the flesh. Anything that will draw us out from kingdom virtues is a tear. And we have to watch it. So this scripture is calling us to be vigilant. The first lesson that we have to note, it's calling us to be vigilant. So as we, we don't just have to rejoice about the work of Christ, which is permeating the earth. We also have to be sober and vigilant that Christ's work that is being done will have a complete perfection in the lives of this world. So this scripture also explains to me about 
we shouldn't joke with salvation because we can depart from the faith. I know this departing from the faith is a very hot topic, but we can based on this scripture. Because some that received the seeds of the wheat, the seeds of tear also came in to infiltrate their growth. So this is something that we also have to watch. So the devil is really after the salvation of our soul. So we have to watch it. I don't know when whether Judas was there when Jesus was given this parable. But the Bible lets us know that Jesus told his disciples. So I want to believe Judas was there. Also referring to him. Because Judas was a believer. Judas was filled with the power of God. Judas was part of the disciples that Jesus says, Rejoice, for your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Yet this same guy, the Bible lets us know that and Satan entered into him. So Christianity is a battle, the salvation of our soul. Amen. It also explains to us judgments. And that's also another hot button topic. Ladies and gentlemen, there is heaven, there is hell. And I know we are in 2023. You might want to spin it any other way around, but the truth is always going to be the truth. Apostle Paul said something, or I believe Apostle Peter, we can't do anything against the truth. The truth is just the truth. There is heaven, there is hell. And we will be rewarded based on how we walked. We will be rewarded based on our manner of life. And like the good book says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, choose life that you will live. So we have to know that there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning for how we lived. There's a day of reckoning for our actions. The Bible lets us know that the tears, they were bundled, they were thrown in the fire. The wheat, on the other hand, they were bundled and they were put in the barn. One of the things that we have to understand is the role of angels here. Angels have a very special assignment to play in the, in the end of the days. They are the gatherers. They are the gatherers. They, they, they will gather and they will separate the wheat from the tears when we come to the end of the age. So we also have to acknowledge the role of angels here. Amen. So God is speaking to us that there is a battle. You have to be aware of the battle. 
by being sober and being vigilant. And if you have truly received the incorruptible seed of God's word, do not be troubled. God knows how to preserve his own. How do I know that? 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two. All right, let me start from verse four. I wanted to read from verse nine, but I think if you read from verse four, we'll get the whole picture. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live godly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the world. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So, this scripture is a very serious side of God we have to consider. It tells us that in a wicked world, God always knows how to select his own. If he did not spare the angels that sent, right? And it's trying to let us know that he saved Noah, who was righteous. He saved Lot in the midst of a wicked people then he is able to save those he know, those he has earmarked in a corrupt world. And then the other side that we also have to know is that the corrupt, ungodly, lawless, sinful, they will be destroyed. Why? Because it's in tributes to God's justice it's in tribute to God's righteousness. It's in tribute to God's holiness. God punishes sin. It's in tribute to his righteousness. It's in tribute to his holiness. It's in tribute to his justice. And that is something we have to know. Verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous self-willed. You know what I find funny here? Those who despise authority are put in the same bracket as those who walk in the lust of uncleanness. Those who despise authority. 
So if you see someone who believes I am an anarchist, you know, and likes to fight authority, fight authority of every form, parents, employers, supervisors, teachers in school, then it comes to the spiritual authorities, pastors. The Bible lets us know that you and the person that works in the last of the uncleanness are in the same brackets. Well, it's not a good spirit. Rebellion is not a good spirit. The devil was cast out of hell because of rebellion. But what, what, what made rebellion effective? It was a secondary cause. The main cause was iniquity. The Bible does not that iniquity was found in you. And it was because of iniquity, that's why he was rebellious. And the Bible let him know that he was cast down. Amen. So, back to my scripture again. Verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count its pleasure to be carousing in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Amen. So, what the scripture is trying to let us know is a two-side effect of God. He is able to deliver the righteous out of a corrupt world and he is also going to visit the iniquity of the lawless and the sinners. Amen. So this scripture to us should let us know that there is a battle. There is a battle. There is a battle for us to be spiritually minded or fleshly minded, which is carnality. But one of the ways by which we'll be able to gain an upside over the devil is to be sober and to be vigilant. Because in this scripture, the only reason why the devil was able to infiltrate a kingdom community was because of sleep. Lack of sobriety, lack of vigilance. So please, today, if you are hearing this message, sobriety and vigilance should really play a key role in the salvation of our soul. We've not, we've, not, we've not come into a joke. We've come into a fierce warfare behind the scenes. And sometimes when you see things like that, sometimes people tend to be a bit afraid and scared, but the truth has to be said. We've come into a fierce warfare, and the warfare is about the salvation of your soul. And for you to gain an upside over the devil, we just read the scripture. We have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. 
Otherwise, if we don't take care, by the time we realize, the devil would have infiltrated. Be sober and be vigilant. Even our communities, the reason why our community has become the way it has become is because of lack of sobriety and vigilance. And what is one of the ways by which we can be sober and vigilant? Prayer. Prayer is one of the ways. We have to be sober and be vigilant. And anybody who spends time praying is a sober and a vigilant Christian. Things will not take you on our worst. You will always be in the know. So we, we have to come to a place of prayer. That's why in the month of August, we dubbed it the month of more prayer. Not just prayer, but more prayer. And the emphasis is more. We have to pray. But when we pray, we sharpen our senses of sobriety and vigilance so that the devil will not take us on ours. Let me give this last scripture, then I'm done. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Seven more minutes on the clock. Verse 1 and 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says to us, that means the Spirit is speaking to us with no ambiguity. There is no proverb in what the Spirit is saying. It's very clear, very lucid. In the last days, some will depart from the faith. This scripture really scares me. They were born again, all right? They were born again. They would depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience said with a hot iron. So where there is lack and sobriety on the part of a believer, this can easily happen. And this is all that the devil wants, the salvation of our soul where we will come to a place of unbelief, doubt, and then depart from the faith. May that not be our story. May the parable of the tares and the wheat bring to us to remembrance that we are in a fierce battle for the salvation of our soul. The devil doesn't care whether you plant a church. That's what makes me understand this. The devil doesn't care whether you preach the gospel. All that the devil is looking for is lack of sobriety and vigilance. He will step in. That's all. So today, when I when I, I like I've been reading this scripture for some time, I've been saying to myself, I don't think the devil is afraid of churches. I don't think the devil is afraid of the gathering of believers. He doesn't mind. All that the devil is looking for is just one thing sleep. All that it takes. Once that misstep takes place, he steps in and then he does what he has to do. So this evening, may God awaken our senses. May he awaken our spirits. And it's important for us to have that sense of sobriety and vigilance. Why? Because we have to know that one day we are going to be judged. There is a place called heaven 
there is a place called hell. When you're a Christian and when you, you lack sense of sobriety and vigilance, you don't care about eternal destinations. You come to a place where Apostle Paul will say, the God of your belly, that's what has become your God. That means you live in pleasure and you just live for today. But may we be wise Christians who live for eternity. Amen. I'm done for now. Any question or contribution in the last four minutes will be welcome or can be welcome. I know this is a very heavy one today, but the, the, the counsel of God's word has to be given wholly. Amen. You don't pick and choose which you want to share. You have to share the whole of God's counsel. I want to be like Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul said, in Acts chapter 20, says, I never shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. And I also want that to be my testimony under my watch. I did not declare to share with you the whole counsel of God's word. Amen. Questions or contributions? God bless you. Amen to that. I just read your comment. All right. If we don't have any questions, what did we learn today? Oh, wow. Very heavy, but very helpful. What did we learn today? I think the thing that encourages me is that... Uh, we really need to keep our eyes on Jesus and just, just keep no matter what happens around us. So just to keep our eyes on him, we might feel down. We might feel perhaps discouraged or troubled or whatever, but if we keep our eyes on him, he will deliver us. I think that that is one of my biggest takeaways. Amen. Awareness and stay focused on God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Shakwana said. That's, that's good. So one of the ways to maintain our sobriety and vigilance, like both of you have just said, one in writing, one orally, is to stay focused on God. Yeah. Let's run this race of faith, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Okay. One more contribution and then we'll close for tonight.
And this time in bed, the better what the enemy wants, particularly the soul. So knowing what his target is is also helpful. Knowing how you you stay focused or you stay you stay in the line of God. Amen. Amen. So let me also mention one way by which we can stay sober and vigilant. Renew your mind daily with the word of God. That's one way. So in, when I was teaching, I mentioned prayer as one way of maintaining sobriety and vigilance. I believe uh, two contributors have mentioned the same thing, staying focused on God. And then let me add the third thing, renewing your mind daily with the word of God will help you to stay sober and vigilant. I pray that may we not fall asleep. May we not sleep. And doesn't mean that when it's nighttime, don't go to bed. Please go to bed. But when I'm talking about may we not sleep, I'm talking about may we not come to a place where we've lost sense of sobriety and vigilance, lest we become devoured by the enemy. And I declare that none of us will become a prey of the enemy. We will not fall victim. And let us be encouraged by the scripture that the Lord knows his own. He knows how to pick his own. Amen. God bless you. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that at the end of this series, may we come to a place of knowing, knowing you. May our knowledge of you grow experientially. May our knowledge of you grow in worship. May our knowledge of you grow in practicing and applying your word and your concepts. May our knowledge of you Grow in practicing your kingdom concepts. Father, all that we seek from this studies and from this series is to have an experiential knowledge of you. May we come to a place that we will say, we know you, O Lord, and we know your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God willing, 